Uh, Jesus, thanks for, for the joy you've given us in, in you. And I pray that as we uh, just open up your words, spend some time talking through it, uh, that you would speak to us. These are your words. And so I pray that just you would help get me out of the way so we can clearly hear you um, and that we would just be uh, transformed by the things you have to say to us through First Timothy and, um, and some other spots as well. So we just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're, yeah, we just started 1 Timothy, uh, and we're going to be in 1 and 2 Timothy through a good chunk of time. We're taking a very slow walk through these letters, uh, so we won't be done with this. And, well, we'll take a break here and there for a couple things probably, but uh, right now we're planning on being in this until March. Um, so very slow walk. We're going to be in verse 8 through 11, so just four verses today, and there's just a lot to talk about in these, so I thought we'd, we'd take it slow. Um, so if you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. We will have the words up on the screen for you as well. Um, what we said last week was that the main issue of this, these two letters, uh, they're different. They're written by the same man, Paul, uh, to the same man, Timothy, uh, but they have different purposes. But, but the overarching purpose of both of them is the same, and that is that God wants his church to be faithful to the faithful Savior that he is. They, the, these really just deal with how the church, the local church in particular, can stay rooted to Jesus. And that's what we want to unpack over the, the next several months. And what we saw last week as we just got into the introduction and the kind of the, the initial issue that Paul has to deal with in the first letter to Timothy uh, is that Timothy was left behind in Ephesus. Paul's gone off to Macedonia uh, to do some other work, and he left uh, Timothy there to help the church get back to the center of the gospel. Uh, basically, what had happened was that there were people who had slipped into leadership in that church, uh, probably very persuasive people, probably very uh, eloquent people, but they were not uh, people that believed the gospel, at least not accurately, and they were taking the church in the wrong direction. And so the the number one uh, issue in this letter is how, how do we get back to the center of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his finished work for us, and then how does that inform how we do everything else in the church? So once we get through the first couple verses, uh, f- through the verse chapter rather, we're really just going to be off to the races on what are the practical things that the church needs to do as they are centered on the gospel. Well, we got to establish the foundation first. Uh, so we're going to take some good time to do that. Um, and listen, I think as I was thinking about this, um, I, I, I've asked this question in like small groups before, and, and it's been interesting, the answers that I've gotten. But I asked the question, what do you think the, the number one problem that the church today faces? And how would you answer that question, right? Like, so you don't have to shout those answers, but if I was to ask you, what do you think the number one problem is in the church today? I have, I've had some interesting answers to that. I've had some um, really good answers to that. Uh, but the, the primary one is sin. That's usually the one that people throw out first. Yeah, obviously. That's, that's a problem, right? Uh, I've had people suggest changing culture, that the church is in the middle of a changing world and we've got all kinds of issues there. Certainly an issue. Some, some people have suggested compromising truth. Uh, yeah, that's for sure something. But I think, 
uh, it's interesting that if we were to ask the Apostle Paul that question, and I think we can make a strong case for this from just what he wrote to churches uh, in his day, and I think that they still very clearly speak to us in our day, um, I think his answer would be different. I, and I think it would surprise us. And I actually think this is the answer Jesus would give too, um, because of how he dealt with the leaders of his day. I think the answer to that question was and still continues to be this one issue, and that's legalism. Do you guys think legalism is a problem? I don't know that we do. (laughs) I think we're cool with legalism because it's like, well, at least we're nice and tidy and things look like they're going good. But it's amazing how many books of the Bible, how much Jesus himself and the Apostle Paul has to address this issue of legalism. And so what is legalism fundamentally? Well, it's, it's basically placing the law back on top of Christians and saying, if you are going to be a good Christian, you've got to follow these rules. Putting law back into the, into the whole thing. And that's, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. In fact, that's the reason Paul wrote 1 Timothy. That's the reason Paul wrote Galatians. Uh, that's the reason that Jesus called out the Pharisees left and right because they had taken the, the clear teaching of grace and have replaced it with works. And it's subtle, right? It's not like overt. I don't think that the people in Galatia and I don't think that the people in Ephesus and Paul's writing to Timothy, I don't think these churches had completely thrown Jesus out to replace him with the Old Testament law, but there was a Jesus plus law kind of thing happening in, this, in these churches. And that's the definition of legalism. And it's, de- it's deadly to the church. It's destructive. In fact, it's such a destructive doctrine that, that there, are, there are multiple books of the Bible that address it. I think every book addresses it to some degree, but they, there are some that that's the entire theme of what's happening in the church. And I, I don't know that we put that, I don't know that that would make our top five list of problems but it should. And uh, I think that that's, it's still a huge issue. So I was just listening to um, a Christian radio station, not, not the one in Wausau, but a different one. So I'm not going to try, I'm trying not to pick on them too bad. But they, la- just yesterday, so I had my whole sermon written and done, and then I had to add this because it just frustrated me so much. Um, and basically they, they had surveyed, I don't know, on Facebook, how it's not a, like a, an official survey, but they had asked like, their community of people, what makes us right with God? And the primary answer they got was being good. That should scare us because that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And the fan, they, did, they just kind of, this radio station just kind of talked about that like it wasn't a problem. <laughs> And that's what made me mad. I'm like, well, I'm done with you guys. Um, so that's, that's just, it just frustrates. I'm like, that is not... It's sad that that is the, the primary answer that... So if you were to at, be asked, what, is, what makes you right with God? The answer is Jesus, okay? You know that, right? Jesus, he's the answer to that question, not doing good. Doing good flows from Jesus, as we'll see, but, but that's not the primary answer. All right, so I could, I mean, I could go on about that forever, so I'll, I'll move on. Um, but here's what we're going to see. I think this is really important. 
we're talking about the theme of how the church, in particular how our church, can stay faithful to Jesus. And I think the answer we're going to see today is um, through this, through preaching and teaching and living the righteousness of God through grace and not through works. That should be the message of the church. Righteousness that comes through faith by grace, not works. So let's look at the the passage. Uh, Verse 8 through 11, I think this is where uh, the Apostle Paul is going to take us. And we will spend some time in Galatians as well because I think we we need to kind of see a little bit more clarity than what we get perhaps in this. But let's look at verse 8 to start with. Paul says this, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. All right, so, so Paul is talking about these teachers in the context. Uh, in the past section, he's talking about these teachers who really want to be teachers of the law, but they have no understanding. They're very ignorant uh, of what it actually says. But they're talking a big game. And, and then Paul switches in this next paragraph to talk about how the law should be understood. And so here's, here's the thing. Law could refer, and it's used sometimes this way, to talk about the entirety of the Old Testament, um, but it could also be used specifically to talk about the books of Moses, the first five books of our Old Testament, which is um, really where the law is handed down, right? You, the second half of Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are basically all the rules that Israel were called to follow. And so I think that that's what Paul has in mind here rather than just the full Old Testament. Although even if he does have that in mind, it's okay. Either way works. But what he's saying is is this, that we know that the law is good. Okay, law is good. But then there's a qualifier. If, so it's only good if one uses it lawfully, or you could translate that word rightly, correctly, accurately. So the law is good if it's used the right way. All right, so that's, that's where he starts. And here's, here's what we're, we can take from this verse. And we're going to see, he's going to unpack what it means to understand it rightfully in the next few verses. But the Old Testament is not to be thrown away. Right? It has a good and proper place. It, it, has, it, it is not something that we just toss to the side and say, this doesn't matter anymore, so let's not talk. Like we preach through, we spent the whole summer in the Old Testament, right? We, we kind of bounce between New and Old Testament books. We love all of it. We think it's all God's word. It's good. It's right. If it's used rightly. There is a good purpose for the law, and that purpose is to point us to Jesus, right? But, but if we don't understand that, then we're going to be uh, really in dangerous territory. And, and it seems clear from the context as we've looked at the first uh, you know, half of this chapter uh, that, that this was at least part of the problem happening in this church in Ephesus. These so-called teachers were not appropriately teaching and applying the scriptures, uh, that seems obvious. Why else would Paul bring this up? 
The problem is, is that they, they had the law, they had their Old Testament, they had the books of Moses, but they weren't applying it in the right way. Instead of applying it through the lens of Jesus, which is what Jesus himself does, right? John chapter five, he tells the Pharisees, if you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he talked about me. Right? Jesus understands that the Old Testament is about him. He tells the disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection how all of the scriptures pointed back to the finished work of Christ, that their scriptures were the Old Testament at that time. So, so Jesus clearly understood it this way. The apostles clearly uh, in, understood it this way through the inspiration of God's Spirit, uh, working through them and helping them to understand this. But at some point in the process, there were a lot of Christians who stopped understanding it that way and were basically reverting back to a works righteousness. This was the problem in Galatia, which is why Paul wrote to those churches. And it's a problem for us too. It's a problem in our time as well. So Paul says the law is good if one uses it lawfully, but what does it mean to use the law rightly, lawfully. Let's, let's see how he answers that in verse 9 and 10. Understanding this, okay, so the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, so now he's going to unpack what that means. That the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Okay, we'll stop there for a second. This is interesting. Paul says that the law is, this is how we should understand the law, that it was not laid down for the just, or you could translate that word righteous. A lot of your translations probably say righteous. Um, that's a good, good right translation. Uh, you could say justified. Right? That's what it means to be just, right? To be justified. So, he, so fundamentally what he's saying is interesting, that the law is not laid down for the righteous, but for, law, for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. So here's the interesting deal. As Christians, uh, we are simultaneously both of these things. We are righteous in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that, the, that, God beca- that Jesus became sin, though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God in Jesus because he took our sin. And yet no one would deny that we're still sinners. So we are. So we're in this like awkward. I I refer to it as the spiritual middle school of life, right? That's the awkward stage of life. You know, you go through middle school. It's awful, right? Everybody's awkward and uncomfortable, and voices are changing, and things are weird, and that's where we are. That's where we are spiritually. We're all in this awkward phase because we are. Yes, we are just. We are justified. We are righteous in Christ, and we are also still sinners. So, so the, the question is, okay, well, where, does the, where does the law land then for, for us? Well, we'll get there. We will. Um, but I think what, what becomes clear here as we keep reading is, uh, is what the purpose of the law, at least part of the purpose of the law, should be. Look at the end of verse 9. He says, uh, the law was laid down for 
those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers. Verse 10, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Uh, well, basically what Paul does here is he walks us through five of, or four, well, really four of the Ten Commandments. And he shows us how the law, the Ten Commandments, um, can be broken. These are just examples of how they're broken, right? So for those who strike their fathers and mothers, obviously means you are disobeying honor your father and mother. That's one of the commandments. Murderers. We know which one that one breaks, right? You shall not murder. <laughs> that one's easy. The sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality. These both relate back to you shall not commit adultery. We, we should not be sexual sinners. We should have relationships within the context of marriage as God defines it between a man and a woman. Enslavers. So that word enslavers... Uh, it refers to people who uh, steal human beings and make them slaves. And this is where the Bible clearly condemns slavery in the form that we think of in the American version of it from the, from the foundation here. Um, you know, that's where it's wrong, right? Because you're, you can't steal a human being and make them into a slave. Now, the the issue of slavery that Paul addresses in other parts of the Bible is a different form of slavery than that. That's more of you are working to pay off a debt. That's not the same as what we think of as slavery. So here he says enslavers. He uses this word, which is interesting because it's, it's tied back to the Ten Commandments of you shall not steal. And when we think of you shall not steal, we think, oh, don't snatch a pack of gum from the grocery store, which is true, right? We shouldn't do that either. But then he goes to like the darkest place possible, which is we should not steal other human beings and enslave them for our profit. Yeah, we, I hope we'd all agree with that. <laughs> we should all agree with that. That's evil. That's evil. And so stealing human beings, that's like the darkest form of it. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. And we think that that's an old thing, an issue from the past, but it's an issue today. Um, the human trafficking industry, I just read this morning, I read an article about it. Um, it was just on my news feed, and I was like, interesting, I'm talking a little bit about this. So it's a $200 billion industry today, stealing human beings through coercion, manipulation, social media is the primary way that people get enslaved today uh, because they are presented with an opportunity for work, thinking it's real work, and then they're, they go to wherever they need to go, and then they're stolen and forced into the sex trade or into forced labor. Um, it's crazy. So that's obviously evil. That's an evil of our time. It's not just an old past issue. It's an issue now. It's always been an issue. That's why Paul addresses it 2,000 years ago. All right, keep going here. Liars and perjurers. Well, this, these are similar issues. Basically, misrepresenting the truth or flat out lying. Uh, that breaks the commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then uh, the last one is kind of the, this catch-all that he uses. He does this a lot in the lists of sin, sinful behaviors in 
a lot of places in his letters, he'll just say something like, and anything else that I missed. (laughs) And that's what he says, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Obviously, he's not giving us a total list of all the sins that break the Ten Commandments. He's giving us a sampling of these things. But what he's saying is, is don't miss the point. He's saying that this is what the law is meant to do. It's meant for people who are engaging in this kind of way. So, so let's think about this. One of the purposes of the law, based off what we've just seen, is to show sinful us how sinful we are. That's one reason God gave us the law. To show sinners their sin. And whenever, this is why we get so uncomfortable when we read the law, right? When we go through our Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year, we get through Genesis and it's kind of like, okay, sort of some, you know, sections that are a little bit interesting, but then you get into Exodus and then it's really exciting for like half of it. And then you get into just, here's all the rules. And then for like books on end, you just get into rules on rules and rules. And we don't like that because it shows us, you know, really where we fall short. And that's what it's meant to do. The law is meant to show us our need. It's meant to show us our need for a savior. It's, it's there to prove to us that we cannot keep the law. There, there's things in this list that you have broken even today, probably. Probably not murder, probably not enslavement, right? You're, you're probably not guilty of some of the big ones. But there are a lot of things. And then there's a lot of things that are also contrary to sound doctrine that aren't in this list that we know in our conscience we've, we've done, right? So, so the law is meant to lay out these things for us, to show us our need. And then it doesn't get us to the, to the ultimate issue, right? We have, to, we have to see something else step in. Otherwise, we just become completely discouraged, completely hopeless, and broken. And this is where Paul takes us in verse 11. Paul says, in in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul is getting us to the gospel here. He's going, the law... The purpose of the law, if it's used rightly, is to help us understand our need for a Savior. And then the gospel enters in to meet that need through Jesus. And I think that that's the primary purpose of the law. It's to show us our need and the amazing mercy and grace that's offered to us in Christ. Even the law of the Old Testament had foreshadows of of this reality, right? Like the reason that God gave the people of Israel a day of atonement once a year was to foreshadow the reality that would be fulfilled in Christ. Even in their sin, God gave them a system to have that sin dealt with temporarily, kind of patched up. It was called the sacrificial system. But then Jesus comes into the picture and he becomes the once for all sacrifice for sin so that that is all done away with. That whole system can be thrown away because Jesus is the fulfillment of that and and therefore uh, actually deals with our sins once and for all. That's through the gospel, right? That's through the gospel, through what Christ has done for us. 
So Paul gets us there kind of in a veiled way, not a super like obvious way. Actually, next week, we're going to look at it uh, a little bit more intentionally where Paul brings himself into this story and talks about his own salvation experience. And I think that's all tied together. Um, But we're going to stop here at verse 11 today. So what we're seeing is that the law is good if one uses it lawfully and the unlawful or unright way of dealing with the law is to say, okay, you have to keep it to be saved. That's legalism. And that's probably what's happening in the church. And so then Paul says, no, that's not the right way to understand it, but it's meant to get us to see our sinfulness and it's meant to show us our Savior. So so here's the question. How does the law then apply to Christians today? What is the purpose of it? As we, we've talked about a couple things, but what, what does Paul say in how it applies to us? He says at the beginning of this section in verse 8 that the, that the law was not laid down for the just. It was not laid down for the righteous. And if you are here today and you are in Christ and you are justified by His grace... The righteousness in Christ is given to you. So if that's where you stand, then the law doesn't really apply to you in a living under it, keeping it kind of way. It it can still, obviously, as we've seen, it can still be an instrument of, of conviction of sin, but it's not the gospel. And it's not the point, ultimately. It's not the goal. Union with Jesus is the goal, right? Being adopted into God's family through him is the goal. And so we're not under the law. We're not under it. We can still look at it and go, okay, this does show me some things about my heart that needs to be cinched up and dealt with and repented of and brought to the the cross for sure. But we are not under the law. And that's where legalism is a problem because it brings the law back into the the center and puts us under it to say you can't be right with God unless you do whatever we say you should do. But, But I will admit that this is probably not the clearest section in the letters of Paul on this particular issue. Paul doesn't dive into a ton of detail He doesn't give us all the little issues. Um, And there's probably a reason for that. Um, Paul is writing to Timothy. And Timothy is his child in the faith, right? Timothy is this guy who's been mentored by Paul. He's learned a ton from Paul. And Paul probably just doesn't feel like, I need to just explain absolutely everything to you. He probably knows it. So this may not be the the best passage for us to unpack how Christians relate to the law, but there are a lot of other places we can go. And we're going to go through uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to take a buggy ride through Galatians, okay? How's that sound? Um, We're going to just make a few stops along a a path down Galatians, because I think this is by far, I mean, we could have gone to Romans. Romans has a ton to say on this issue as well. Uh, But I think Galatians just, there's some real some real hitting issues that he deals with here. And this is the main point of the letter. So we're going to take a quick buggy ride here through Galatians. And, and I think just by looking at these few verses, 
or these few sections, we'll get a good rounded view of the law as it relates to us. So let's start in Galatians 2, 19 through 21. Here's what it says. Let me get to it. It's one page over here. Um, It says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. Catch this, this is, this is the crucial verse. For if righteousness or justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That's strong. If I could be saved or right with God by keeping the rules, then why did Jesus die? He died for no purpose. He died for no reason. It would have been a waste. We can't be saved by the law. That's not, that's not its place. That's not its role. Let's go to Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law, or all who depend on works of the law, those of us who are putting our lives on the the stake of, I'm a good person, I'm I'm doing the thing. Those people, Paul says, are under a curse. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So there he quotes Deuteronomy. He's using the law to tell us how the law isn't, meant for us anymore because he's saying the the law itself says if you don't keep everything in it you're cursed now it is evident that no one is justified or righteous before god by the law for the righteous will live by faith there's habakkuk uh, chapter 2 i believe quoted there for the law but the law is not of faith the law is not of faith did you hear that Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. That's the law. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, everyone, uh, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. There's Deuteronomy as well. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You hear what he's saying, right? This is, this is so clear. This is the most obvious thing that he says, is that you cannot be right through the, with God through the law. And instead, Jesus came to take the curse that the law had placed on us by becoming a curse for us. All right, flip over to Galatians 4, 4 to 7. <clears throat> He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Here we're told that Jesus at the right time in history came into the world and Jesus was born under the law. 
to do something, to redeem us who were under the law. And as he redeemed us, then what happens? He gives us sonship and daughtership into, into Christ and into the family of God. And so it's because of him that we are children of God and we can cry out to him as our father and we're no longer slaves, but sons through God. So Jesus lived under the law so that we would be redeemed from it. Okay, so those three are really just fundamentally like the, the highlights of Galatians, right? Like this is, this is Paul's kind of overarching argument and I'm sure Timothy was aware of it, right? Timothy probably knew uh, these things. So there's no reason in 1 Timothy for him to rehash all of this because it was already in his mind. But, but let's look, ask the question, okay? Because here, here's the natural question. Okay, we're not, we're, excuse me, we're not saved by works of the law, but... How do, how do we live? If we don't have this rule book to follow and all these things that we have to do to be right with God, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to make godly choices? What do we do? And beautifully, Paul answers that question in Galatians 5. So he's just, just follow his train of thought. He's, the law's done for those who are in Christ. We're not under it. It's done. It's over. We're, we're, we're free from it. We died to the law. So then how do we live? Look at Galatians 5, verse uh, 13 through 18. Paul says, For you were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. Freedom from what? From the law. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for sinfulness, So we're free from the law, but we're not called to use that freedom to just sin and sin as much as we want. Rather, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he basically is saying there that the law, rightly understood, even in its original context, is about love. It's not about about works. And so God, through Christ, sets us free to love right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So there's, there's a clear call here to not be in constant conflict with our fellow Christians. And so here's verse 16, but I say, here's the key, I think, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing you want to do. Here, so listen, verse 18. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So how do we live without the law telling us what to do? We follow the spirit. We actually have a real relationship with the living God who empowers us and calls us to live in him. The problem is that most of us in in the church in general do not actually have an active relationship with God. And so what do we do? We put legalism and law and slavery in the place of freedom because we don't actually really get how to walk with the Spirit. But I don't think it's that difficult 
we love Jesus and we know his word and that should show us here it is. Let's walk. Let's walk in it. Let's live it. I, it shouldn't be that complicated. But, but what we've done is we've just said, oh, no, no, it's much easier just to have the checklist. We'll just have the checklist. And Paul's making the point that the checklist is actually slavery. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And if you walk by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So let's follow Jesus as free people, you were called to freedom, brothers. That's what it says. So let's walk in freedom. That's the point. And so how the church stays faithful to Jesus is simple. We keep our eyes focused on righteousness, justification by grace through Jesus and not through works. And whenever we start to see ourselves slip into works righteousness, We've got, to, we've got to repent and turn back and come back to the righteousness by grace. Because if we lose that, we lose the whole thing. We lose it all. It's, it's not a little thing. It's a massive thing. So we have to keep our eyes on it. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for, for just the reminder today that we're not saved because we do the things but, but we're saved and you empower us by your spirit to live in that freedom. And so I pray, God, that you would give us each, each of us that um, empowerment, that you would help us all to make the corrections by your spirit's leading that need to be made. We pray that you would draw us to repentance and change. And uh, Lord, we can't manufacture any of that for ourselves. So would you help us to do that? Would you empower us in it? And we pray that you would get the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.